0: In the heart of central texas it's the best of the outdoors podcast brought to you by texas fish and game magazine the voice of the texas outdoor nation i'm your humble host dustin vaughn warnke author outdoor writer videographer speaker blogger podcaster man am i fired up about this show man am i excited that you're taking the opportunity to download the show or stream it online however you're listening well we're back with another episode and man am i fired up about it um Talking a little bit this week about Hurricane Harvey and its effects in the Texas Gulf Coast area and uh, you know we got hit by it a little bit in Central Texas but the flooding and most of the damage I guess of this hurricane took place on um, the east side of Texas and it was really a devastating hurricane for a lot of reasons. My wife's side of the family had uh, three homes that they lost. Um, One was her aunt and the other two were her cousins. And I wanted to have Jeff Stewart on this show because he kind of did a lot of the relief efforts and recovery efforts uh, with uh, a couple of other people. Uh, It was just kind of a great response effort because anybody with a boat in the area or in my area of Central Texas started heading towards the coast as soon as the hurricane moved out and the flooding and everything ensued and uh, it's just a great example of the texas spirit and louisiana and in the case of the cajun navy and the texas navy coming together to um you know help those that are in need and those that lost everything and like i said we have three family members that lost their home and everything so this is certainly close to my heart uh and covering that this week And I also wanted to talk like we normally do about the outdoors, hunting and fishing and that kind of stuff, which is why I have Jeff Hulk Stewart on. (laughs) That's his middle name. (laughs) That's his nickname online, rather, is Hulk. And um, I really love this guy. I've followed his writing and social media for a long time and wanted to definitely um, showcase what he is doing in the Best of the Outdoors podcast this week. And so we got him coming on. Before we do that, I wanted to showcase... One of his pieces of writing that is online right now, um, an article that he wrote based around the hurricane, and we'll do that now. But as I'm recording this podcast, you know, there's Hurricane Irma that is currently pummeling the uh, Florida coast and the Gulf Coast area of Florida, and uh, certainly all this is near and dear to my heart because I've got friends and family that live in the Florida area and are, are experiencing, you know, some of the losses that come with hurricanes you know in that area and i really thought what jeff wrote was was really good and he wrote this on september the second it's on his wall jeff Crypto hulk stewart uh you can look this up uh really enjoyed reading this and uh it goes something like this as i'm down in the flood devastated areas for this past week i could not help but notice that this is america Hundreds upon hundreds of boats and thousands of people selfishly going down to dangerous floodwaters to help those who cannot help themselves. Bass boats, bay boats, catfish and crappie rigs, canoes, kayaks, jawn boats, rubber dinghies, airboats, duck boats, and even I had a guy show up with a truckload of swimming pool floats because that's all he had. This is America. No one cared what color anyone was or what bathroom they peed in or who they went to bed with. No one cared who voted for who, we just cared. This is America. Every redneck, hillbilly, hick, Cajun, Yankee, and other noun you can think of showed up in force. Some went in debt and bought a new boat or borrowed their uncle, father, or neighbor's boat just to come. This is America. Those who could not come sent boats, motors, food, fuel, money, and whatever they could along with those rolling out to help. This is America. Tens of thousands have gathered diapers, food, water, and every other need a person might have, and they are being taken to the affected areas on trucks and trailers. Supplies are coming by the trunk loads and tractor loads. This is America. Law enforcement agencies and officers from all over Texas and Louisiana working as volunteers, drawing no pay to be here, rescuing people. This is America. All these people traveled hundreds and thousands of miles on their own money. Missing work to, with no pay, giving up vacation days if they had them, sleeping on floors and truck seats when and if they slept at all, wet from head to toe for days on end, eating whatever they can find and little of that, willingly and gladly. This, being, this is being done right now. This is America. I really thought that was a great Facebook post. I mean, that really shows that we unite and bring everybody together. How we work together as a team, especially with the Texas spirit, which is why I wanted to cover this on this podcast. Aside from the hunting and fishing and outdoor stuff that we normally cover, and one of my friends that uh, is a friend of the best of the outdoors podcast and also a friend of Texas fishing game. Uh, set up a or actually was part of setting up a um, webpage for helping Houston get their home back and it's called BayouCityRelief.com that's BayouCityRelief.com I'll put that in the show notes you can uh, request help or you can give help and, uh, and the tools of uh, financial assistance, volunteering, so on and so forth, whether you live in or outside the East Texas Houston corridor and uh, really some good stuff going on there. One of the other guys that I listen to on podcast all the time is John Clay Wolf. He has a car buying show on the radio where he uh, is on several stations throughout Texas and the radio live on Saturday mornings. And he has something called Operation Airdrop, and you can find that at operation-airdrop.com. Uh, that's where he united, he's a pilot, so he united a bunch of pilots together, and they made an incredible uh, relief effort together, and there are ways you can support that as well. So Bayou City Relief and um, Operation Airdrop are the two I wanted to, to showcase on the podcast this week. And, uh, you know, if you, if you have it in your heart, whether you live inside or outside of Texas, I know we have listeners all over. I mean, we're definitely devastated by this disaster, but that's not going to keep us down. The Texas spirit is certainly different from a lot of other areas in the world as we kind of band together and do well for our own. And uh, I'm really excited about, you know, that message of hope and inspiration to in the outdoor lifestyle uh, that we're going to be showing today on this podcast. So here is my interview with Mr. Jeff Stewart. Uh, Joining us on the phone is Mr. Jeff Stewart with Texas Fishing Game Online and the blog of Texas Fishing Game and also our magazine. Mr. Jeff Stewart, welcome to the Best of the Outdoors podcast.
1: You are very welcome. It is my pleasure (laughs) to be here
0: you've listened to a lot of our shows and uh just you and i have talked on social media especially on facebook and on facebook messenger about having you on the show and i couldn't think of a better time to have you on than in the middle of this uh hurricane harvey recovery effort and everything because you're in the middle of it in a lot of cases and helping with the rescue and relief efforts uh of those people in east texas um tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started give us a little background on you
1: well, I grew up in the Sabine River bottoms here in East Texas, uh Panola and Shelby County. Uh basically, I had a I had a gun in my hand and I could track and trail animals before I could walk and talk really
0: good. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so you started young. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, my, at 6 months of age, my dad wrapped me in a blanket, put me in the uh, sack of his squirrel hunting vest, and put some milk In uh, there with me, and he would take me hunting and stop and feed me along the way. I mean, literally, I was in the woods at six, eight months old.
0: Oh, that's great. Uh, That's That's
1: great. (laughs) That's just how much my dad uh, took me.
0: So it ingrained Uh, in you pretty deep, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Later on, I went to school. Uh, I took uh, animal science, Um, went as far as I could go, had a football scholarship, and messed up my knee. But then after that, I continued on in school. I got an electronics degree from the University of Colorado. I hold a degree in theology from Baptist Christian University. And I have continued with my animal studies and have a certificate as a veterinary technician.
0: Oh, how cool. So you've really kind of run the gamut on the outdoors and uh, and other stuff, too. That's great. Absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. So tell us what you do with Texas Fishing Game. I, I read a lot of your articles on fishgame.com, and I know our listeners can go check that out too. But tell us the kind of stuff that you like to write about.
1: You know, I like to write about my personal experiences and things growing up a lot. Um, I like to write about back in the 70s, a lot of the old people that I was around hunting that, that shaped my outdoor love. Mm-hmm. I like to write about some things that people may not see anymore. Some of those old, I don't really know how to put it. it it's just some of that stuff that modern times has kind of wiped away. Yes. I like to write about that and then turn right around. And I'm not afraid of jumping in a very controversial uh, issue like we had with the uh, hog poison and mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and telling people, you know, they don't need To be that kind of guy or that kind of person in the outdoors that, uh, you know, is a last-minute preparer and uh, is the kind of person that just uh, we don't like to see in the outdoors. I kind of tell people like it is, and if they don't like it, I... I'm not afraid of a little backlash.
0: Yeah, I'm I I've kind of picked that up from you and I, I'm kind of getting less scared in in the way of of being able to kind of have an opinion in the outdoors and not worrying about what everybody thinks about it cuz you're not going to please everyone. You know that as well as I do. Um, I'll never forget that what article that I wrote. I don't know if you ever read it. This is a, a few months ago, um, around Christmas last year, actually. So it's been several months ago. But wrote an article on high fences and had Blake Marshall on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have him back soon. But had one guy that messaged me on Facebook and wasn't even a friend of mine. Just found me in one of the groups where I posted the article. And he said, I hope you know how big of an idiot you just made yourself. And I was like, well, I made a new friend. It looks like so. (laughs) Because, you know, there's
1: nothing wrong. I really liked that. Yeah. I liked that article. I thought that was a great article.
0: Thank you. But I knew I was going to tick some people off as my point with that deal. Yeah. And, you know. And, you know,
1: here's the thing. If you tick people off, you know you hit a nerve. They read your article word for word, and you hit a nerve. Right. And that's really the kind of people I want to touch. I want to hit those people that I'm going to touch and I'm going to make them think
0: that are on the fence. I'm not kind really of, yeah. doing any
1: good. Right. Yeah. All the people that read my stuff that agree with me wholeheartedly and everything. I love those people. Sure. But they're really not the people I'm targeting. Right. When I write an article that is controversial, I want that person that disagrees with me. I want him to message me. I want them to write me because I want to open that dialogue with right. them. I want to find out why they think the way they do. I want to get into the, the uh, I guess a good word would be the minutiae of the the whole thing. Right. Find out where their hatred or where their such uh, fanatical support of a position comes from. And then we can work on that. We can go from there. Right. And right. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're going to convince me. Maybe sure. I'm going to convince them. Maybe we're not going to do anything. But, Yes that's, where I, that's that's the direction I go
0: That's what I like about your writing style Is that you're not afraid to open that discussion and I've had Dustin Ellerman on the show Who writes for us at Fishgame.com And does it a Department of Defense article And uh, a column rather, uh, With Stan Skinner in the magazine You know he said I'm all for having a discussion But when it turns into this hatred And bigotry And all this other stuff And racism, politics Everything else that gets involved with it You know it's not a discussion to that point It's an argument And I, I agree with that to some degree But you and I are always trying Trying to reach across the aisle and at least share our opinion and at least have that kind of dialogue like you like to say
1: yeah uh recently a very large uh discussion <laughs> which turned into a pretty good <laughs> argument that i was having with an individual about hunting uh they were going off on how unethical it was to to kill animals and all of these types of things and I happened to be bop over to that person's page and look at some of their pictures. Right. And of course they're weathering, they're wearing some leather tennis shoes. They're wearing some different products that, um, animals had to lose their lives in order for them to wear these clothing products. Good point. And of course I, I I hit them with the, where did your tennis shoes come from? Mm -hmm. What animal didn't have to die for that leather to be skinned, tanned, and shaped and sewn into a pair of $90 tennis shoes. And of course, Oh, that's different. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Explain (laughs) to me how an animal dying for your tennis shoes is different than an animal that I went out. I hunted, I killed, I I put in my freezer. My family eats primarily what I hunt, trap, kill, or raise in a garden. Yes. Um, tell me how we're evil, but your tennis shoes aren't, right. and the stuttering started.
0: <laughs> yeah, that it all became uh, on your, instead of on your toes on your heels, right?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, you it's...
1: know, and that's the thing. I don't mind a good argument. I don't. Right. I don't mind even a a really intense one. But if someone's going to come at me, they need to come very well educated and very well informed, because. I'm not shooting from the hip, right? you're step. coming from, a, from from a good angle, right? This is from forty plus years of experience in the outdoors, in the outdoor industry, shooting archery three d competitions, working at ranches, working um for deer breeding operations. I mean, I've done everything from sweep to poop out of stalls. <laughs> to injecting <laughs> vitamin shots into the, into their haunches. Right, you right. know, I mean, I, I've done all of these things. I'm no, not I'm... just some Johnny come lately. That's over here, just spouting his mouth off.
0: And you really kind of have to have that criteria to write for us. You know, a lot of people say, how did you get that gig with Texas Fishing game? And Gammon? I'm like, well, you've just, you've got to be a good communicator at the end of the day. And you've got to know your stuff, you know, and that's something you and I both, uh, excel in. So uh, that's, that's, that's great. Well,
1: I'm honest with folks. When they ask me, how did you get that? I said, well, the first thing, I said, I've been friends with Chester Moore for de- for well on 12, 14 years. Right. I don't know exactly how long. I have written for the, for longer than that, and he's read what I have written. Yes, And he didn't just throw me a bone because we're friends. It took years upon years, a decade or more, of him reading what I wrote. Yes. And then he was like, you know, you know, I, I I see a little potential there and I need some help over here at the magazine and we've got a blog coming up and blah blah blah. So I I started writing blogs and then it was like, well, I really like what I'm reading and it wasn't an overnight thing. I mean, yes. this took years upon years to do. Mhm.
0: Yep, it did for me too. I mean, it's about proving yourself in the industry. And I'm thinking my next book that I'm going to write, Jeff, is going to be around um, how to quote-unquote make it or be successful in the outdoor industry because there's a lot of, a lot of people kind of guard all their secrets close to the chest, and I've been criticized for kind of letting out the cat out of the bag when it comes to, you know teaching people how to be successful in outdoor TV or teaching people how to be successful as an outdoor writer or whatever the case may be. But I don't want to hide that kind of stuff. I like to, uh, I like to spread that around and say, Hey, you can do this too, you know, and, and whatever you do.
1: Exactly. And you know, I tell people all the time, there's a, there's different levels of success and how you measure success. Right. I've been writing for a long time. I've got a book published right now and, um, about to have another book that's published. I haven't made hardly any. I mean, I'm not getting rich here. Right. I don't measure my success by my bank account.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: measure my success by walking into a store and somebody says, man, I read your last article. I love right. it. Somebody right. saying, man, I read your blog and I hated it. Or <laughs> that feels walking good, in doesn't and, it? <laughs> yeah. Or I walk in and some little kid hugs me. Because mm-hmm. he recognized me from being on television or from being on whatever. Right. And some little kid hooks me and, and, and walks up and wants my autograph or something like that. Yeah. Those things are how I measure my success. Or if somebody stops me and says, Tell me the truth about catching those catfish. Right. You know, do you you know, is that article you wrote true? And I'm like, It's hundred percent true. I didn't make anything up. Right. I've right. actually went and done these things that I write about.
2: Yeah. Now, no, I'm not good. just,
1: just down and writing uh, fiction here you know Right, this i mean is all non-fiction stuff. i've yeah. been there i've done it and if it's something that i haven't been there and done i get on i get on the phone and i talk to people that actually have and i'm like okay you got to take me you know and right. we go
0: I'm the same and we way. we do
1: it yeah and i come back and i'm like going okay now i know And I'm able to sit down and write about this because not only did I hear and learn from their experiences, but I went and had my own. And so that's how I judge my success is people that say, thank you. I loved your article.
2: Right. You know, and that's that's enough.
1: For it's,
0: me. that's enough for me too i mean i think that's great and one of the things i wanted to bring to light and one of the reasons i wanted to have you on the show this week is uh your relief efforts and rescue efforts with hurricane harvey um you know certainly a devastating hurricane to texas certainly one of the most devastating hurricanes we've had in america um, kind of give the rundown to the listeners of what you experienced out there and I, I wanted to bring this to light because I didn't really know enough about the hurricane and it hadn't really fully developed when I recorded the last show uh, but I wanted to really showcase because I knew we'd see this I knew we would see Texas grit you know we would see the true uh, stick-to-itiveness of Texans um, you know that spirit that we have of dropping what we we're doing and going to help our neighbor you want to talk a little about that
1: Man, i would be—I'd love to, because I tell you what, there are some real unsung heroes. Yes, uh, in, our, in our state and in Louisiana, our neighboring state of Louisiana, and all over the United States. Whenever this thing kicked off, I was contacted by a friend of mine, Rob—oh, excuse me, Rob Gooday—and he had been integral in the Cajun Navy, and he said we worked together in the zoological field. And he said, uh, brother, would you help get these boats and things coordinated? And so I sat in my home for 24 hours and people from all over the United States were calling me. Where do I need to come? Where do I go? And I'm coordinating with FEMA and I'm finding out where rally points are, where these guys can bring their boats, where they can get them in the water. And then I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know what? This isn't enough for me. And I put a call out. And I said, do I have any friends that want to go? And immediately I had two friends. Wow. Doc Shundigan and Lee Gibbs, who messaged me and said, let's go. And I said, be at my house five o'clock in the morning. We'll go to my boat and we'll go. Five o'clock in the morning, they were here. We hooked onto my boat. We headed down. We oh, made it as great. far as we could. Um, out there, the roads were closed. So we just put our boat in the water. And sure. we started rescuing And we spent the next two days wet and cold, pouring down rain. I mean, I had a poncho. I gave my poncho away to a lady with a baby that Mm. was in my boat. She needed it, and that baby needed it worse than I did. Sure. Um, And we we did our thing. And, I mean, we, we went hungry. We went cold. We went wet. We stayed that way for days. We were waiting around in water that now we have to have a gamut of Shots for all kinds of
0: oh, sure diseases and everything they could kill you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, we cared.
1: We knew people needed help, and not just us. But I had people from Michigan that called me. We're coming. We're bringing boats. Mm. Kentucky. I had guys from Kentucky that like, look, we got (laughs) airboats. They brought their boat fishing boats down and said, "We got this stuff, and we're coming." They came. Louisiana. I mean, I even got a call from guys from California that had bought a boat on Craigslist in Longview, Texas. They drove from California to Longview, Texas, picked up that boat, and then drove to Houston. Thank goodness the boat did not run <laughs> when they yes, got there. Yes. These guys had the greatest of intentions and the biggest hearts, but they had no experience in a boat, in a boat yeah. uh, doing anything like this. And, and thank goodness. And I had them, uh, they, they were able to help. I had them stand on land and help launch boats and help load boats back on trailers and, um, it just ended up being one of the greatest displays of humanitarianism, love, affection, and you know. One of the things I wrote about this, um, I, I wrote an article called "This Is America,"
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that was the America that I loved. You know, we hear about all this stuff on the news. You know, everything's a bigot or a racist, or if you're a redneck, you know, you're you're the scum of the earth because you hate everybody. Well, these were nothing but rednecks that showed up down there. These were guys in their bass boats, in their crappie rigs, or catfish boats. I mean, there were guys that showed up in dinghies with trolling <laughs> motors on them. And I kid you not. I love it. And, you know, uh, you look up there and you just wondered, you know, these are the people that are supposed to be the most hateful, the most these, – these are all conservative people Christian people that are supposed to be the the, the hateful people right. and they were out there they didn't care what bathroom you went to they didn't care what color you were, what church you went to whether you went to church or not nobody cared about any of that We didn't care who you voted for we didn't care nothing we didn't we didn't want to know your legal status in the country we didn't want to know any of that all we wanted to know is do you want to go to hell do you want to go to safety do you need something? Sure. And we gave away our own rain gear. We gave away our own food. We gave away our own water to people that had less than we did. Oh, and that's
0: that's so the awesome. America. Yeah, that's
1: I, the America that I love. That's the America that I want the world to see. That's yeah. the America that everybody needs to see. That's the Texas that that is just so ingrained in my blood and in my heart. That's the Texas I grew up in. I didn't grow up. My parents did not teach me to dislike someone because of any reason other than they're not a good person. You know, uh, I I was never taught that because of the color of someone's skin or because of of any of that, you know, who they go to the bedroom with or whatever. You dislike that person automatically. I, I was taught that this person over here deserves everything that you deserve because you are raised a certain way. You are raised a Christian or, or whatever. And as I was, and you know, if you judge somebody, you're going against what the good book teaches. Right. And so my heart was pulled on to go help somebody.
0: And you're really my loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, I mean, that's really what yeah, the golden rule, exactly, I didn't want to interrupt yeah. you, but go ahead, continue. No,
1: no, no, you're, you're a hundred percent right. This pulled on my heart. Sure, this this something something spoke to me. Something higher. Look, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot tall, 300 pound guy. I'm a large guy. I really have. I've got bad feet. I, I suffer from psoriatic arthritis in my feet. I have nerve damage uh, in my feet. I really and honestly, as my wife said, you have no business being down there doing this. Whatever spoke to me in my heart. I happen to believe that it was my faith, my Lord, that spoke to me in my heart. Um, Other people, you know, they have have their own path to walk. This is my path. Sure. And it spoke to me and said, we need you. People need you. And I got up and went. Now, we had a lot of people here that couldn't go, but they, they sent things. They sent food. They sent blankets. They sent... I had a company here that, that sent a pair of waders with me the second time I went. After I, I ruined my boat, I knocked a hole in my boat and
2: oh, stripped no.
1: the gears in my motor. <clears throat> Came home, got another boat, borrowed another boat from a friend, and went back. Mm-hmm. And on the way back, I had a uh, wings and whitetails. I don't mean to plug on your show. No, you're fine. You're fine. They gave me, the guy that owns the place, gave me a pair of waiters. Uh, I called him and I was like, look, I don't have any money right now, but I'll bring you my 44 Magnum pistol. You can hold it until I get back right. from down there and get paid That's and, and I'll pay you for these waiters. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he, he said, I have no problem with that. He said, but you don't need to bring me your gun. He said, I know you, you right. wouldn't be down there doing what you're doing. If you were a criminal or a crook, or if you were trying to get one over on me, you know, and he said, come get em. Sure. And then then he gave me more things to help out. Um, he, he really did. He, he was like, you know, no problem. You know, here, we're going to help you. Uh, here's something for gas. He helped us buy gas to go down there and back on, stuff like that. And we had other people that didn't go that didn't have any money, that literally are, are living hand to mouth that went in their own pantries mm-hmm. and pulled out soups and bread and crackers and anything they had
0: to give yeah and
1: that's texas that's the america that i love
0: well i'd like to say that, yeah go ahead i'm sorry
1: no that, that go ahead
0: that what what was the title of your article again called that that's america or what was it called this, again? Is, a, this, is, america. this is america i read that and it was so inspired that's why i really wanted to have you on the show because and you can find that, folks, on uh, Jeff's Facebook page. Um, and how do they find you there, Jeff? You have an interesting Jeff middle. Jeff Crypto Hulk Stewart. That's <laughs> funny, Christo- man. Jeff Crypto Hulk Stewart. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and there's a picture of you in the recovery effort. as a profile picture. But, you know, I like to have... You know, I'd like for people to go read that because that really summarizes the Texas spirit and the American spirit of people, even from outside of Texas, because we're known for our hospitality in the state for those of us that are listening outside of the state. Um, but as far as the response, if you compare this, and I'm not making anything racial or political here at all, but you compare this to Katrina, you compare this to Hurricane Katrina in that regard, you know, you had a lot of people with their hands kind of out going, government, come help. Uh, here in Texas, when Rita came along after Katrina, you know we we really went into action and we closed I-10 going you know east and um uh both, put both I-10 lanes going west, you know, and and we we really sprung into action. It's just the grit that, and I'm not saying anything against Louisiana. I'm just saying that we just have a a, a muscle when it comes to helping other people. We do.
1: We we really do. And you know. One thing that touched my heart while I was there is I I had stopped. We had actually ran over a box of roofing tacks that someone had lost, like a 50-pound box. Twenty tires were ruined, trailers and truck tires in our convoy. Some of these tires had 15 and 20 roofing nails in a tire. Mm. Harris County got a local tire shop that was closed because of the flood to open up. And Harris County paid for us either new tires or our tires that could be fixed were fixed. While I was getting that fixed, I was at a gas station across the road getting a cup of coffee. And this elderly uh, African-American gentleman, who walked up to me and he said, have you been down doing this rescue? And I said, yes, sir, we have. And he said, can I take your picture? And I said, yes, sir, you sure can. And he took my picture, and, and he started crying. And he said, you got to excuse me, son. I'm, I'm a little emotional. I said, sir, this is emotional time. Sure,
0: that is. And
1: he hugged me, and he, he said, do you mind if we talk a little bit? And I said, no, sir. I'll talk with you all day long. He said, I've never thought in my life I would see this. And I said, what did you see? I mean, what, what the flood? Are you talking about? He said, no. He said, I never thought I would see all these white boys down here doing this, Uh saving us. And I said, well, sir, I said, "there's, there's no thanks needed. You know, he was just being so thankful and everything. And I said, we're all human beings. Yes. He said, I know. He said, but with all this stuff that's going on lately, he said, all of you boys is down here. You know, he said. And he used a, a word that I will not use to refer to himself as, as a word and I, and I told him, I said, Don't 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 do that. I said, You deserve way more respect than that. He said, But it's true. He said, Y'all are down here saving us when we won't save ourselves and I said, You're in a bind. and the Bible says if your ox is in the ditch, get it out.
0: Yeah, Jesus said And that, I said
1: yeah. I said, All you folks down here in Houston, y'all are us. Y'all are us. We're all Texans. Y'all are us. Your skin color don't matter. Your religion, your everything, none of that matters. I said, I've seen folks down here that are from Vietnam. I've seen folks that are Hispanic. I've seen folks that are African American in boats. I've seen every color, every religion, every creed of person in a boat down here saving folks. And he cried, and, and he said, will you pray with me? And that brought me to tears.
0: Oh, I'm sure.
1: And and he and I sat there, and we started praying. And before we knew it, we had six, seven, eight people that had come and put their arms around us. Every person that was in that store came and put their arms in a group with us around us, and, and we prayed. Mm. And that was such a powerful moment because this, this gentleman, evidently, he had bought into the rhetoric that, you know, we're all a bunch of hateful Trump voting rednecks and we want the, the, the ruination of anyone that is not like us. And he saw firsthand that that was not true. Yeah. And it really spoke volumes to me. He and I talked for uh, the whole time. Our tires were getting fixed. He and I talked for a good um, 45 minutes to an hour and was probably one of, the greatest conversations i've ever had in my life with another mm, human being
0: that's great
1: um and it broke my heart because to see that the mainstream media has people of such great caliber as this this man was yes believing in what in all this sensationalism that they're putting on tv they're not putting on tv the good stuff that's going on they only focus on the bad because that's what
0: sells. Well, and my wife reminds me that I tell her this all the time, but in news, you know, if it leads, it bleeds is kind of the the going phrase and has been for, yeah. for made mainstream media for many years. Um, that's what people want to to focus on, but I mean, really, and I guess that's what the human emotion goes after a lot of times is feeling sorry for other people or I don't have it as bad as they do or whatever, but the case made, you know, made here in the Hurricane Harvey relief effort is that we all pull together, regardless Regardless of our political views or race, and that's what your article, you know, eloquently put so well. You know, is that America helps its own. We take care of each other. We love on each other. You know, all that 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 BS just goes away of of all of our differences when we're in a crisis situation like we were with this hurricane and the flooding.
1: Exactly, and one of the things I saw that just took me a back was. With all of this relief effort still ongoing, you know, people being fed, people being housed, people being clothed by other good people. <clears throat> Headline news, as I turned on my television, was a statue of Robert E. Lee somewhere here in Dallas or in Texas that's being torn down. And I'm going, really, this is news? Yeah. This is something that uh, when we got people that are homeless and starving right. and don't know what they're going to do to get back in a home. Um, there really is somebody here in Texas, in in a big city somewhere, that still thinks that tearing down a statue of Robert E. Lee is going to make a difference to anybody.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, I, yeah, 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 I, I had three family members, uh, on my extended family on my wife's side that were displaced from their home, and they waited to the last minute before they left. They left with nothing, and they've lost everything. You know, I mean, these are the things that we need to be concentrating on, is helping these people rebuild from nothing, not necessarily, you know, the racism or the statues or any of right. that other
1: stuff. You know what I'm saying? Right. There's people that I've got down there right now. I've, I've still got some of my volunteers that are down there that once the rescue effort was over, they just parked their boat and went to help. <laughs> that are helping people get their homes cleared of these wet, Mattresses and all of these things out of their homes to see what they can or can't salvage because there are some places down there that the government is not deeming 100% loss. Mm-hmm. So these people are going to have to try to salvage their home, and I've got pictures, I've got friends that are sending me pictures saying, man, this lady's home is a total loss, but yet she's not going to be able to get any help to to." rebuild so she's going to have to do this so they're stripping sheetrock free of charge you know stripping Mm. sheetrock off the walls I just I can't help but wonder in my mind though you know once you get all this sheetrock and all these things stripped where's this nice lady going to get the money to buy truckloads of sheetrock to go back on those walls now we do have people that are going to volunteer and help some of these folks to put that sheetrock up Um, We have some good, nice folks, but at the same time, they don't give that sheetrock away. They don't give that plywood away. They don't give away buckets of screws and nails and paint and all of those things, and I just can't help but wonder. Some of these people, some of the homes I went to didn't even look like human beings ought to have been living in them to begin with. Wow. They were in such bad shape. Down. Down on the port Natchez River uh down around Evadale and Vider and on down in there very rural settings this wasn't in town kind of things and you know you sit there and go these, everything these people owned was probably in that house mm-hmm. every everything they didn't they didn't have insurance they didn't have things like that they were living paycheck to paycheck and you're looking at this going who's gonna help these folks
2: yeah we you know these are the folks time. that are
1: really going to need the compassion and the help because it was horrible I mean literally um, pulled up heard a dog bark pulled up and there was nothing but a wall of poison ivy and poison oak mm. uh, it didn't even look like a house and as we pulled up I hollered out hello anybody need help because if nothing else I was going to grab the dog and the bushes parted and somebody hollered what mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Jeff with the Texas Navy. We're here to see if you need uh, some help. And they said, "Nope, we got a boat." And all you can do is tell people, "Okay," and then leave. You can't force them to leave. You can't sure. force them. And the water—they were on the second story of this house, and it looked like it was about to fall down. Mm. And and you're sitting here going, "What do you do?" You know, and these poor folks—they're trying to salvage. They're, they're sitting there trying to save what little bit they've got. Right. And my heart broke. You know, my heart broke. My heart broke to the the pets. And I, I want to say this to everybody listening: if anything like this, any kind of tragedy like this, ever happens, and you can't take your pets with you, open the kennel and let them out. Yeah. Unchain them and let them free. A little bit of chance of survival. Is better than a 100% death warrant. Right. We went into kennels where dogs were had been treading water probably for a couple of days. Uh, we went into houses where dogs were still chained and were dead because they were chained up and and, and had been left. Um. There are were places like kennels. Uh, there were even shelters that. Just abandoned seventy-five to hundred dogs mm. and left them chained up. I'm not, I'm not chained, but left them
2: kennels, uh,
1: closed yeah. up in their kennels. Right. And I, I tell people, you know, if you if you can't take them because there were uh, Coast Guard and uh, National Guard that were getting people out that were not letting them take pets with them. It was humans only. Sure. Uh,
0: that's hard. I mean, that's really hard. Yeah.
1: And, The thing is, you know, those dogs could have swam over and got on a rooftop somewhere. They could have found a little high ground. If nothing else, you know, they would have had a slight chance. Sure. Um, Because we did grab dogs off of rooftops. You know, we did grab pets that were swimming. We grabbed deer. You know, some of our guys grabbed deer that were swimming out there and put them on their boats. Um, The hardest thing, and this is so weird because I hunt coyotes, the hardest thing I had to do. Is I came up on about, I don't know, I'd say it's about a 12 or 14 week old coyote puppy. And he had a broken back leg. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do anything but put him down. Right. Every time I tried to grab him, he, he was trying to eat me up. You know, mm-hmm. he was scared. And I wasn't going to let him lay there and suffer. So. You know, I put him down, and it broke my heart. And, and you know, people are like, "But you shoot a hundred coyotes a year," yeah. and I said, "It's a big difference in it shooting is. one and putting one down
2: oh, than seeing
1: one suffer." I, I don't even—I don't want to see a coyote suffer. Wow. I don't like that they kill my deer, but. You know, at the same time, I would not shoot one in the leg and break it and watch him limp
0: off. Right. And and that's the thing. A lot of people have have issues with us as hunters is we're these ruthless killers, especially the anti-hunter community and PETA and, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, we love those animals just as much as the activists that are, that are for animal rights do in a lot of ways because – You know, we we harvest ethically, most of us at least. Um, You know, a lot of us eat what we kill or donate it. Um, You know, there's just... that We have feelings too, is my point.
1: Yeah, and you know, here's the thing I tell them. I know, and I can track most every dollar I've ever spent on conservation. Mm -hmm. Can they?
2: Yeah.
1: I know... All the families that I have fed with hundreds and hundreds, probably over the years, thousands of pounds of hog meat, deer meat, and everything else, fish, everything I've caught. Um, I've had people literally call me on the telephone and say, look, we know a family down here and they're on hard times. Do you have any deer meat or anything that you can spare? And I've literally loaded up three garbage bags full of sausage that, you know, I paid for its preparation. Sure. Uh deer hamburger, uh, deer steaks, all of these things, deer jerky even, and taking it down and donated it and said, here, give this to the people that need it. You know, uh, we have hearts. I, I mean, I've, we really do. I've I killed mean. hogs and I've got on the phone when I didn't want them. I've got on the phone and I've called 10, 15, 20 people and found somebody that says, man, yes, please bring us those hogs. We'll skin them now. You know, uh, sure. I've taken them and and given them. So, you know, when these animal rights people say, you know, we're ruthless, bloodthirsty hunters, uh, you know, I like to ask them, how many deer have you ever gotten out of your vehicle, walked across a ditch, and got their foot out of a barbed wire fence that was hung up? Mm -hmm. I know I have. I know Mm -hmm. lots of hunters who have.
2: Sure.
1: Um, I know lots of hunters who have risked their lives on icy ponds or uh, in very deep mud around the edge of a pond where a deer's gotten stuck. I know lots of hunters that have gotten themselves in some pretty sticky situations, saving an animal, <clears throat> the same animal they're hunting. But the thing is just because we hunt it doesn't mean that we don't love it. Yes. We love these animals. We want to see them flourish. We want to see them. And anybody that says that they're a hunter and they're out poaching or they're doing the bad things that's not a hunter that's a poacher i agree there's a big difference between a hunter and a poacher we would never want to shoot or kill the last animal of anything we wouldn't hunt an endangered species now i get a lot of backlash from um my uh, people that go and, and like hunt the lions and hunt elephants and things like that and and it's kind of a double-edged sword for me, because I don't want to go and hunt one. But at the same time, I've done the research, and the areas where these animals are being hunted, the animals are flourishing. The areas where these animals are not allowed to be hunted, their numbers are declining. Because oh, yes. where they're being hunted, there's the the people are stopping the poaching. Where they're being hunted... Tens of thousands of dollars of every single hunt go back into the community. $100,000 goes back into conservation, pays for wardens, pays for rangers, pays for bullets and guns and all of these things that stops the poaching. And so it's a double-edged sword. Even though I, I personally don't want to hunt one of these animals, I see the benefit of the legal, proper, regulated hunting of them.
0: Well, I can't agree with you more, Jeff, because that all being said and I've brought this up with Tim Jackson when I had him on the podcast a few podcasts ago, you know, he, he hunted in Africa, um, uh, recently. And he basically said, you know, if there's no value on their lives, just like here in the state of Texas with our exotics and our hogs, if there's no value on their lives, they're, they're, they're seemingly worthless then to the population there, aside from killing them for food or killing them because of depredation as far as predators go with lions and, and, uh, those kind of apex predator animals, you know, um, um, if if you don't have that kind of respect for that animal, if you don't to hunt them, they'll go away. You know that's my point.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and you know we as hunters, we're the we are the conservationists. These no animal, no animal that has ever been brought back from the brink of extermination was brought back by any animal rights organization. Never in the history of any anything going on in the United States or all over the world, no animal rights organization has saved a species. But hunters and hunting organizations have saved numerous species. Mm-hmm. The, the, the most uh, famous of which is the Rocky Mountain elk.
0: Yes, very good point. You know,
1: the Rocky Mountain elk was, was on the brink of extermination, and it was brought back we we love you know we as hunters we band together you know our hunting license fees all of these all of the money that we spend a certain percentage of it goes toward conservation
0: well, and then 100% of the money, and I brought this up on licenses and stuff. I was just reading the other day when I renewed my hunting license and my fishing license, my Super Combo for Texas, 100% of that money goes to conservation. 100% That's goes it. to the conservation efforts. And then I get these people and that what, are on, you and I are on Texas Hog Hunters Association. We got people on there who say, do you have to have a license to hunt hogs? And I'm like, my goodness, man, this goes to help the problem, you know? I mean, <laughs> this goes to help yes. conservation in, in regards of other I, other I love other it animals. when
1: people when people hit me with that. But, but I don't have to have a license to do I to hunt <laughs> hogs. And, and I'm like, or to but go the point is, why wouldn't yeah. you want to buy a license? Right. Why do you not want to buy a license? What's the point of getting to buy a license? Now, I understand if you're farmer kid and you are sitting on your porch and 40 – uh hogs come out and start rooting up your hay medic (laughs) i understand you not needing to worry about a license to go in the house grab the op-6 and go blasting off right right but if you are loading up in the truck with your buddies and you've got a twenty three hundred dollar ar-15 tacked out with a thermal scope on it and you're worried about buying a seventy dollar license yeah, or you're worried. You don't even have to have that. You can buy just a basic license. Yeah, um, you a
0: basic know. year-long but, hunting license, but, right. but you know,
1: you're you're worried about if you you're you got thousands of dollars worth of gear and you're going out here to hunt hogs, and you're worried about buying a license. That to me, that there's something that we've missed. We we've done something wrong in our <laughs> education process of our fellow hunters, because the point is, I buy the super combo every year with every stamp, every tag. I don't use half of it, but I buy it every year. Why? Because I know where that money's going. Sure. I know where that money's going. You know, I probably haven't caught a redfish that was big enough to keep in, oh gosh, six years, five, six years. Mm -hmm. Caught a whole bunch of small ones, but I've still got that redfish tag on my
0: Yep. On every my license every year. Yeah. No, I, I haven't killed oh. a duck yet, to be quite honest with you. And I got my duck stamp last year and didn't end up going duck hunting. This year I got it again. But and that stamp's continuing to increase in price, like twenty eight bucks now. But I'm just like, man, for yeah. what it goes back to in the feds and, and the, the federal government taking, you know, and doing conservation efforts with it, it's worth buying that darn stamp, you know, it really is. It
1: is. Because here's the thing. You and I may not want to go duck hunting we may not even get the chance to go but then again we might but the thing is we got kids sure whenever my son my son's 19 years old and he's in that stage where he's kind of drifted away from hunting and you know girls and other things are more important right now hey i went through it everybody did so what's um, gonna happen in 10 years when he decides man i really loved duck hunting and i want to get back into it what's going to happen if we haven't been spending that money on conservation and in 10 years it's like well sorry the federal government has stopped duck hunting because there's not enough ducks mm-hmm. there's not enough wetlands there's no protected areas blah 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 sure you know i don't have to tell my son or my gr- I, I just became a grandfather I have oh a congratulations three that's months great old. oh how cool yeah she's three months old and she already owns a gun. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? I've already i I've got a, a gun and gun station here, you know, that's kind of rolling on it, you know. Um, oh, that's awesome. The thing is when my, my daughter hunted, my daughter killed her first hog with a bow when she was eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh killed her first deer with a rifle when she was fourteen. So, you know, she she had been bow hunting long before she ever picked up a gun. And the thing is I want my granddaughter to experience that. Sure. I agree you know i want I want that conservation to still be in place. I want all of this to be there, so when that little three month old baby whenever she hits ten years old and she says, Pete, I want a bow
2: mm-hmm. when
1: she hits thirteen years old and she says, Pete, can I go deer hunting with you can you know can I shoot one of your guns or whatever? you know at that point in time, I'm gonna be able to say, Yes, baby, we have plenty of deer.' <laughs> Let's go hunt them. Absolutely. We let talk about that all the time. Let me teach you how to track. Let me teach you how to trail. Let's go out here and, and, and grab the old uh muzzle loader that yep. I love to hunt with, the primitive muzzle loader. Mm-hmm. Let's go and let's let me show you how to, you know, poke some powder down the barrel of this thing and chunk a big round pumpkin ball at something. You know, I wanna still be able to do that 10, 15 years from now. That's why I pay my money for my licenses, I I'm glad that my tax dollars, when I buy a rifle or when I buy a shotgun, when I buy hunting-based products, a percentage of tax dollars goes to conservation.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean that—that's—that's that's the thing we talked about on this show a lot because Chester's got me on this conservation riff for the last, you know, couple of years. That because I listen to his show quite a bit, and you know, I, I really think it's about having the wetlands and having the 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 you know not letting it all go to landscape development and so on and so forth. With the you know thought that we have a hunting for the future because there is a decline in hunting. We all know that. You know, a lot of times if you don't grow up around it like you and I did, it doesn't really translate to the next generation because there's so many other. Distractions out there of iPads and iPhones and smart tablets and everything else that they can go to, that the youth of today can go to, where they they can leave the woods alone, you know, and not not do or the water or whatever, any outdoor sports, they can just leave those things alone. But my whole point has always been to you know take care of instilling that desire in our kids um, that, that that makes them want to go out there and go hunting and fishing and and um, you know, camping or whatever the case may be and enjoy the great outdoors. I mean, that's really one of the precepts of the show is really getting kids out there and and with the next
1: generation. I tell you, if you are a hunter, whether you are an outdoors man or woman, it does not matter. But if you don't try to get every child that you are in direct influence of involved in the outdoors. Now, I'm not saying they've got to go out and take a gun and and hunt or or anything, but I've yet to meet a kid that did not love to shoot a bow and arrow. I've yet to meet a kid that did not love to catch a perch out of a pond.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. You know, I have yet to meet any kid that I have had influence over that I have taken with me that even if they walked away and they did not want to go hunting, they had a different opinion about hunting, about fishing, and they could not wait to go back camping or they could not wait to go back to the outdoors. Yes. yeah. And if trying. you're a hunter and you're an outdoorsman or woman and you're not trying to show these uh, youth, these children, these kids, whatever you want to call them, if you're not trying to show them the positive Liked and the positive aspect of hunting and giving them the knowledge of what true conservation is the numbers about us saving animals and about um saving wetlands and doing all these things for the animals
2: yeah
1: and if you're not doing that then you're doing a disservice to something you love
2: Yeah, you're doing
1: a disservice to hunting and to fishing i'm telling you I'm like you when you said a while ago that, you know, people dislike you sometimes because you don't hold those secrets back about doing things. I'm the same way in the hunting world. Yeah. I've had people tell me you're giving away those secrets about, you know, how to draw in deer and how to do things and how to make uh deer lures in your kitchen,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And I'm like, yeah, I give that away for free. Why not? Well, you could be bobbling you could be bottling that and selling it. I sure could. <laughs> but at the same time, I have I have people that message me constantly saying, "Man, I mixed up that scent eliminator that you gave me the recipe for, and I've never had anything work. I've had deer walk up within five ten feet of me, and it worked. Or people say that attractant that you gave me the recipe for, I poured it out, and last night I caught seventeen hogs in my trap. And before that, I had never caught more than two at a time." That kind of thing. And I'm like, that's my reward. You know, we we're talking about rewards earlier yeah. and things. That's my reward. Sure. I love that. I love it when people say, that Jeff, he knows what he's talking about. When he tells you to, to put this bait out, to bait your trot line with this or to do whatever he's not just shooting you a line of bull. He's telling you the truth.
0: (laughs) I mean, and we get criticized for giving away all the good stuff. I'm just like, man, why, why this, this is too good not to share. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know,
1: i I got a good quick little story about that. I did an article last year about, um, Merval Lake here in East Texas. Yeah. It's in Gary, Texas. And, the, every year, there is a huge crappie migration on this lake, and everybody knows about it. There's a bridge called Dodson Bridge, and everybody knows that if your boat is not parked under this bridge by 3 o'clock in the morning, you're not getting under this bridge. Mm-hmm. So I went with a buddy of mine. We fished. We, ha- we had our limit of, of big slab crappie. It got daylight between seven and nine A. M., we both had a limit. That's fifty crappie slabs. We were throwing back anything that wasn't a slab. Okay.
0: So <laughs> That's a good day of I go home,
1: right I I write an article. I write an article about fishing down there and everything. And the next thing you know, we're back down there fishing and the guys didn't know who I was. They were in a boat next to us. And they start badmouthing the guy that wrote that article. <laughs> and I'm sitting there fishing. And I'm sitting there and I'm Like I said, I'm a big old boy, and I'm sitting there, and they're just bad-mouthing, bad-mouthing. I just looked over at the guy, and I said, I'm the one that wrote that article. <laughs> they got hush-mouthed real quick, you All know. And, and we're sitting there fishing. But the thing is, they got so mad at me, they thought I gave away a secret. Right. And the thing is, everybody in East Texas knows that if you want to catch crappie during a certain time of the year, December, I guess, is when it was, you go to that bridge— I mean, it, it it's not a secret, but they thought I gave away their secret. Mm-hmm. And now just you know they just thought people from all over the world were just gonna flock there and catch all their crappie. Give yeah, away all the all the good
0: stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I've had that same thing happen about writing about uh, hunting down in in the national forest and about going down there and finding a good spot to hunt in the national forest. And I tell people, you know, hey, this is where I went, this is where what I did, and this is you know, I, I saw plenty of game and blah blah blah. Next thing you know, I'm getting messages on Facebook and emails from people that are going, "You sorry, so and so, you gave away my secret spot." And I'm like, you realize when I walked in there, I, I walked past nine trucks. I walked past nine or ten people sitting in tree climbing stands and I walked past I don't know how many ribbons marking trails going mm-hmm. to stands mm-hmm. to get to where I it wasn't a secret. All right. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: but you were just, you were just doing your thing. And I mean, there's really nothing wrong with, uh, with it's, it's all about sharing the great outdoors with each other and taking care of each other. And I mean, we, we do that a lot in Texas. We talked about that with the hurricane relief effort, but you know, I, I don't keep the cards close to my chest when it comes to things that I can help people be better at in the outdoors. And it's a whole reason why I started this podcast and it became part of the Texas outdoor nation is just that, I, I love this so much, you know, helping helping other people, you know, that's where my heart is in all
1: this. Exactly. I think that's that's one of the key things that most of us, you know, I mean, of course, Chester's humanitarian efforts speak for themselves. Yes. Anybody that does not know the great leaps and bounds Chester has accomplished uh, with the Children's Kingdom Ministries and with all of the things, oh my goodness, they just. Kingdom Zoo, yeah. They're blind if they don't know. Right. Uh, Dustin, the good things Dustin is doing with his uh, Camp His Way. Um, yes.
2: Element, uh, yeah. And
1: yeah, Dustin, is, I mean, he's done some great things getting some kids. Um, involved in outdoor activities and doing all of the things that he has done—marksman camp know. and
0: all this stuff that Ellerman does oh, at around goodness. San Rayburn. Yeah, I mean that's just that camp his way, and they're, they just built a new dorm for this summer, and and that's just a really good thing. I mean he's Mister Top Shot, you know. It's, it, it, I plan to have him back on the show again soon. He just he was just too much fun, you know. Yeah,
1: and, and, and you know I'm still to Texas, I sit there and I go, Wow, Texas Magazine. I'm not. I don't mean to toot our own horn, but in all honesty, it's the it's got the best group of writers. It's got the best group of contributors. I guess is what you would call us. Sure. It has some of the best information of. I'm not just saying any magazine in the state. I'm saying any magazine out there,
0: period. Oh, I believe that for sure. Yeah, I mean, there are people outside of Texas that get Texas Fishing Game, but, I mean, as far as our coverage and everything else, we're the largest magazine in the state of Texas, but – I mean, it's just amazing the amount of knowledge I've picked up over the years from other articles that I've read to go into other articles that I've written again, you know, I mean,
1: it's just, it's right. Great. And, and we have such good contributors. I mean, you're, so, you, me, whatever beside the point, but we're talking about Lou Morello. Mm-hmm. I Marillo, mean, yeah. if you've read any of his stuff, I mean, my goodness, you know, the wealth of knowledge this man sure. has. Yeah. And I had the, the, opportunity to do a little turkey hunting with him last year and uh, was just blown away by this man. He was just sure. a great humanitarian, a great man. Um, Ted Nugent, I mean, controversial and everything as uncle Ted is. Uh, we don't always see eye to eye on our own subjects, but my goodness, I mean, the man tells it like it is. And he, once again, uh, I look to him for my inspiration on, you know, being not scared of the controversy, right. not being scared of saying what I think, saying what I want. And as long, the way I look at it, as long as you say things articulately and from an educated point of view, it's hard for people to do anything, but just come at you with personal. That's right.
0: attacks. That's right. And, and,
1: if you stay your kid, point you know, well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Attacks go off of him, like water off a of ducks. Yeah. Back, you know? <laughs> uh, so, you know, we've got, Oh my good. Uh, you just name it. I mean, my
0: Goodness, Doug Pike, uh, Joe Doggett, yeah, that whole, the whole, dog oh, Doggett, crew, man, yeah. and
1: and Williams and, uh, and Calisto. Yeah, I mean, yeah. come, Gonzalez, come on, man,
0: yeah, they're all great. Excuse people. me if I
1: don't pronounce his name right. No, that's a hard one. i on good, no, that's fine. <laughs> but, but, you know, these call are guys are, These are guys that I'm so honored to now be in the ranks of because I read them for years right you know i I read these guys like oh my gosh the new texas fishing game is here oh my gosh you know, <laughs> i gotta read this stuff <laughs> read it from cover to cover yep <laughs> and, and now to see my name and then this month i had no clue that my teal hunting article was going to be on the cover yeah I, no I
0: saw that that's another reason why i wanted to have you on the show because i saw you posted it on facebook i was like yeah jeff's teal story made it in so that's great and so. I'm sitting
1: here and my wife, you know, she's like, Oh, you got your new know, Texas Edition game in the mail and of course she chunks it to me. I look at the cover and I'm like, What? That's
0: right. You know, That's I'm right. like
1: I'm like <laughs> the, I mean, I, I of course, you know, I mean, I have lots of articles in the magazine, but I've never had one on the cover.
2: Right. And
1: I'm sitting there and I'm I'm having a fit and my wife's like going, What? I'm like, Look at this, look at the cover and she's yeah. like, It's a duck, you know, and I'm like going it's my story. Read it. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, did you write that? And I'm, I'm like, Going, Well, yes, dear, I did, you know. Mm. And I'm just having a fit because, you know, to me, this is living a dream. Yes. As a kid that grew up reading uh, magazines, I mean, I got my. First outdoor magazine. A friend had a garage sale and didn't sell them and threw away a stack of outdoor magazines that were probably three feet tall and they let me have them.
2: Wow! I brought
1: them home. Some of those magazines went all the way back to the late '60s, uh, early '70s. A lot of them, and so I read those magazines from cover to cover. I read a lot of them till their covers fell
2: off.
1: Mm-hmm. And so that was my first time reading an outdoor magazine. So now you know uh, people that i read and just just idolized you know larry wassoon and guys like that um wow i'm i'm sitting here now and i'm writing alongside guys like
0: that yeah that's the way i feel too it's, it's a, a dream come true i've looked up to guys like that and to get some feature articles and stuff like that that's just great so yeah no that's wonderful well listen man we're at an hour i think uh, of us talking which has <laughs> been great um Tell folks how to get a hold of you. Time flies when you're talking to good times. Yeah, I love talking to you. You were a great interview, I got to say. Tell folks how to find you on social media, where you're at, what your handle is, that kind of stuff.
2: Again, well, of
1: course, everybody can go to fishgame.com and look up my articles, read my articles, read uh, Dustin's articles. You know, I mean, we're all on fishgame.com. That'd be the best place to find us and read what we write. I uh, can also be found on social media at uh, Jeff Crypto Hulk Stewart. I love that on name. On Facebook. Yeah.
0: Crypto Hulk. And
1: I'm on Instagram as uh, Jeff Crypto Hulk Stewart. Uh, Twitter, um, same thing. I mean, just any of those things you can find me on. Uh, just about everything that has an outdoor heartbeat, you, if you look hard enough, you'll find where I've commented or wrote something Great. on it. So. That's you great. know, uh, basically, I mean, look uh look up t- fishgame dot com. That's going to be the best thing. Read what we we say because yeah. there's just the best group of people right there that there is, in my opinion. Yeah, um, get those kids out there, get them in the woods, get them on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, if nothing else, sit them down in front of the TV and and get on YouTube and go show them some of those old Virgil Ward. And some of those old Mutual of Omaha videos yeah. and things, and see if you can spark something in them.
0: Some Fred Bear videos
1: too, you yeah, know that never. Fred hurts. Bear, yeah. man, oh, man, you ain't
2: old get Howard
1: Hill. Those are yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Uh, the old Howard Hill videos of him shooting uh, people throwing aspirins in the air, and he was shooting them, <laughs> you know. Way back then, or <laughs> shooting bow fishing, Howard Hill bow fishing. You know, sharks swimming by, and he's shooting a shark yep. with a wooden arrow. Uh-huh, you know, things uh-huh. like
0: that. Yeah, that's really get cool. those
1: kids, show them those things. Sure. Because those things are going to be gone before long. You won't even be able to find them on YouTube and things before right. long, because somebody's going to claim they're too violent or too yeah. whatever. It offends what somebody. We, it triggers something.
0: They're what we grew up with, you know for sure. So. But, um, but no, that's great. You've been a great interview. Thanks a lot for your, uh, service in the hurricane Harvey recovery efforts and rescue efforts and everything. I can't thank you enough for doing that. And, um, you know, I just, I can't thank you enough for being on the show with me, man.
1: My pleasure, man. I enjoyed it as much as you did. I my hope. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff Stewart, Mr. Jeff Crypto Hulk Stewart, I should say. find him on Instagram or find him on uh, Facebook. I follow him mainly on Facebook, and he's just got some great stuff. Uh, He also, as he talked about in the podcast, made the cover for this issue of Texas Fishing Game Magazine. And I've got that right behind me here uh, on a story on duck hunting, teal hunting. And uh, cover story and uh, and the cover shot was dedicated to that story as well. So this is a really good issue to read for the September issue if you get Texas Fishing Game. And if you don't, what is wrong with you? You need to go subscribe right now. I'm <laughs> sorry. Just kidding. Um, but, you know, seriously, subscription to Texas Fishing Game for a year is like 19.95. You can order it uh, at fishgame.com. Uh, get the digital version as part of the print version uh, as, as, as a value added and you can read it on your phone through the Texas Fishing Game app. You can also be notified about news that's on the website at fishgame.com every day uh, through the app. There's a news feed section for that. And uh, we really work hard on that digital issue every month. And I really think you'll enjoy the the different multimedia components of that as well. If you have not done so already, please subscribe to the Best of the Outdoors podcast. You get a new episode every two weeks is what we're doing these for right now. And um, really have a lot of fun doing this show for you guys. Really you know, get to pour my heart out to the world on these uh podcasts about, you know, things about the outdoor lifestyle and hopefully give you some hope and inspiration to go out and do your own outdoor adventure and have your own best of the outdoors out there. And uh, really have a lot of fun doing that. So please subscribe. You can subscribe through iTunes. You can also subscribe through uh, Podbean, which is the place that hosts our podcast. And that's podbean.com. And then our page is thebestoftheoutdoors.podbean.com. You can go online and uh, check that out. And that has all of our episodes since we started this bad boy back in 2015. And uh, so I love doing this show. I don't know if you can tell in my voice, but I'm constantly, you know, inspired every week to bring this show to you. Because it's always something unique. And and awesome to uh to showcase and uh, bring to your listening ears however you're listening to us thank you so much for doing so so that all being said i just wanted to thank you guys again for your support of this podcast please tell a friend um share this on social media if you want to um that would help us grow the show organically and things are growing pretty fast right now but i'm really liking to keep the steam on that train and just continue to uh Continue to, to, to inspire you to tell other people about the show so they can tune in. Again, our two charities I wanted to uh, bring to um, your attention are Operation AirDrop. That's Operation-AirDrop.com. You can support them through the pilot effort that is uh, helping with the Hurricane uh, Harvey recovery. And then Bayou Relief.com. Bayou is B-A-Y-O-U, CityRelief.com. Uh, Helping Houston, helping the surrounding area that was affected by the flooding, uh, especially the flooding, but certainly the hurricane as well. I've spoken to people in Corpus Christi and Port Aransas and uh, Aransas Pass and all those areas that were affected uh, by the hurricane and uh, had some kind of uh, devastation of some kind in that uh, vicinity so wanted to definitely bring those to your attention hopefully you will uh, help out that way or any other charity that you know of to support please do so we certainly need it here in texas and i want to definitely bring up that to inspire you to go do something to be part of the change and recovery efforts so thank you so much again for watching thank you so much again for reading thank you so much again for listening and have an awesome day in the outdoors